Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Grote and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hi, and welcome back to another Unveiling Grace podcast episode. So delighted you're here with us again today. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And this is actually the third time that we have talked to Pastor Rich Sanford, who is at Mission Church in South Jordan, Utah. He has done a lot of talking to Mormons and understands how they explain things and what they think about Christians. And particularly, he asks them what they see as the major difference between Mormonism and biblical faith. You might want to look up part two and part one with Pastor Sanford, Pastor Rich. Um, Today, we're going to talk particularly about two areas that Mormons see as different between biblical faith and Mormonism, and that would be the issue of authority. How do you get your authority in your religion? And yep. then where does it come from and who actually has it? <laughs> idea of grace. Now, Joel and I talk about grace a lot on this podcast, but I have to tell you, even after I gave my life to Jesus, it took me two full years as a former Mormon to understand biblical grace. I was sitting in a Nazarene church one day and he was preaching on grace and it finally hit me. I remember turning to Mike and saying, I think I get it. Thus, the idea of biblical grace is so antithetical to the grace that I learned in Mormonism that it took me a long, long time even to understand what it was let alone what to do with it. (laughs) And yet most Christians would think that's solid in your head before you give your life to Jesus, right? For a Mormon, leaving leaving Mormonism and coming to biblical faith is a process. I would say for most Mormons, it's quite a process because of the things we've been talking about with Pastor Rich, which are doctrinal differences between the two faiths, what one God is teaching, and then what the God in the Bible is saying. So um, let's begin with the issue of authority today, Pastor. Yeah, this was one that I was not prepared to talk about uh, when I moved out <laughs> to Utah. Um, I, even as a pastor, I, I actually remember shortly after uh, being here and dealing with that issue of priesthood authority. They might just summarize as authority by itself uh, over and over and over again. And so I called a seminary professor that I had known who'd been in, in seminaries pre- uh, teaching for 30 years. And I said, what do you do with priesthood authority? How do you deal with that? And he had never heard the question, didn't even know how to deal with wow. it. Because it's, it's just something that Mormonism uniquely um, tends to emphasize. And so I just 
took a lot of time to try to figure out what the issue was in order to try to deal with. But not just Mormonism, right? A lot of performance-based faiths, faiths that believe you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to earn God's favor so that he might save you. It's not an unusual idea for a lot of performance-based religions. Right. That's and that stems, true. yeah, and that stems from the fact that most of the time these religious um, groups and organizations, they get their start by someone who claims unique authority. They get their, they get their claim um, within Mormonism. It's Joseph Smith claiming that he's been called to restore the true gospel that's been lost from the earth. With the case of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you have Charles Taze Russell, who claimed he was called to be um, the faithful and, and wise or faithful and discreet servant that's talked about in Matthew. And so he's got a unique calling for this time and place in this dispensation um, with Seventh-day Adventism. You have, um, I was going to say Mary Baker Eddy, but she's science, she's um, what, Christian uh, scientist. Um, mm -hmm. You have Ellen G. White yeah, with Seventh-day Adventism, again, mm -hmm. who claims to have this special calling, a special prophetic anointing from God to reveal things. So authority is almost always at the heart of the start of these movements and groups. And within Mormonism, it's developed in its own unique way with this idea of priesthood authority. So I guess I, what I'd like to hear, Rich, is as you learn about this and begin to, engaging, begin to engage, what are the challenges? And then what do you develop as a truly biblical response to that claim that Christians just don't have the authority that's available in Mormonism? Well, one of the things that I like to do just to try to prompt the thinking uh, correctly here is is I'll often talk about baptism because that that's that's a real major piece of where authority comes to bear in, in Mormon thinking, and yes. so um, even if a person's playing that kind of whole, well, we believe the same thing, we're all Christians in the same way. I might say something like, "Well, I was baptized by an evangelical pastor. Do you think that was a fully legitimate baptism?" <laughs> it oftentimes <laughs> makes my, my Mormon neighbor kind of, uh, I don't want to have to tell you this, but <laughs> no, I don't think that was good. And yeah. um, I say, listen, you're not going to offend me. I'm not at all offended. It's okay. It's safe. We can talk about whatever you want here. But um, what that tells me is you're, you're thinking there needs to be something that my pastor should have had, but he didn't when I yeah. was baptized. And that, that's, that's priesthood authority that's passed down from, from God. And so I like to jump right into Matthew chapter 28. And I show what Jesus said at the ascension and that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore. And so that's when the Great Commission comes. But he begins by saying all authority. There's no authority that exists. It is not held permanently by Jesus right now. Now, I've not seen a lot of pushback from Mormons on that. Give a nod to, yeah, Jesus is an authority. Okay. But it's helpful to start there because we need to see that all authority that exists is derivative it's delegated yes. from jesus to others and so that's the starting point we really always want to point back that jesus is king he's he's the center of all of this we want to constantly bring back to so i make sure that's made clear that that's where i'm starting and okay. then i'll then i'll talk about what this jesus who claims all authority today what he said and we'll go to the famous keys passage in matthew chapter 16 right where jesus speaks to peter and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And 
there's disagreement with even Christians of different groups who wonder <laughs> what exactly is the rock that's going on there. I, I'm not certain that that's the biggest uh, problem area right there. Mormons will say that it's the um, revelation because you did not receive this uh, except from God who gave this to you. But right. I think that the real statement we can press in on there is who did Jesus say will build the church? Who will do it? Yeah. Jesus said, Jesus said, I will build my church. And, and, and then he doesn't immediately follow and say, as long as you stay faithful or as long as my followers do what they're told, um, no. unless failure is inevitable. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against it. So literally in the face of opposition that Jesus expects, this will, this will come about and the church will certainly grow. And the one who has all authority has declared it. And I will quickly then run to, I'll stay in Matthew. I'll go to Matthew 13 and explain how the kingdom parables, Jesus helps us see this even clearer. When he says the kingdom ah. of heaven is like, and he says it's, it's like a mustard seed. It starts small mm -hmm. and it grows to be the largest tree in the garden. And it, so it doesn't, it doesn't start small, grow, and then die for 1,500 years and then slowly start coming back up again. No, it grows steadily in the face of opposition. And he says that the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, it's like leaven in, in a lump of dough. Yep. Well, what's that? Way, it's growing through. slowly but surely, even when you don't see it working, it is still working. And so if you think it looks like it's failing, just wait, it actually is growing in there. He'll even say that it's like, the kingdom of heaven is like wheat and tares, right? So the wheat that's planted by a farmer and then the, the weeds were planted by his enemy. And he says, leave them both until the end because both right. wheat and tares will grow. None of these fit with the idea that authority was robbed off of this earth for centuries of human history until a new savior really had to come in and reinstall it. Jesus promised he would build it. And, and, and that, that's where I like to start with the whole authority conversation. Plus, there are things within Mormon doctrine that don't even fit the idea that authority was taken, right? As a Mormon, I yeah. believed that John the Apostle was still walking the earth, so he surely had the priesthood authority. I right. believed that the three Nephites from the Book of Mormon were still walking the earth, and Jesus had visited there and, and set up 12 apostles and set up the church, right? At supposedly how it was supposed to be. So... Um, if those folks are still walking the earth and they had Jesus priesthood authority, then how was it removed from the earth completely yeah. ever? Right. And so, exactly. but in Mormonism, I didn't use my brain and faith because there's so many contradictions, even within Mormon scripture that I wasn't even sure about. Do we believe this one or this one or uh, that you just you couldn't really use logic and faith. You just had to <laughs> build on this faith in your church, right? And in what right. your church leaders told you. And that could switch in a minute. That could change this idea that there's this absolute truth from the Bible that's been the same down through the centuries with 40 authors, 66 books. It's all consistent. It's all the same. I didn't know that. And no Christian ever told me that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that is something that goes along with the whole authority issue with these performance-based groups is at the end of the day, ultimate authority is always in group leadership. And so because of that, 
you have to follow whatever the group leadership says. And if they change or if they contradict or if they make modifications or if they go back on something, you're just left. Your responsibility is simply to follow the leader because that's where the authority ultimately lies. You as an individual really don't have any authority to even seriously question what they're saying. And that is so different from the Bible where in the new covenant, Jesus comes and says, you know, all authority is given to me. I'm sending you out to go. Every individual gets the Holy Spirit. Every individual has the spirit of Christ inside them and the revealed word. So every believer has the same authority on the believers like playing field that that's level there within the human within the human finite realm there is no supreme authority and i'm going to caveat that i mean within the church we do recognize that pastors and teachers are given authority in terms of teaching but they don't have any authority over our relationship and connection with god in our ability well, Joel, to hear I, from him i think you said it right. On this earth, other than Jesus, there is no other supreme authority. That's the right way to say that. There is no supreme authority apart from him. So that means that pastors or fathers and mothers or uh, even governing officials, all of that authority is under Jesus. <laughs> so we must yeah. be abiding by and obeying what he said. So that, that's the way that authority works like that. Um, I, I have found that um, the great apostasy really is built upon the idea that authority can be lost. And, and that's why we even see a reason for Mormonism to come about. Why did yes. Joseph need to come to restore what was lost? Well, if nothing was lost, then what would be the need for a restoration? And um, scriptures come to bear on this oftentimes. Well, who had the authority to write per particular scriptures? Um, how do we know which scriptures are true? All of that really comes down to an authority thing. So to yes. add to the authority conversation, the Bible demands that we test our earthly authorities, our earthly mm, leaders. The yes. Bible does not just say mm -hmm. comply and do what they tell you. Uh, in fact, the apostle Paul himself, who is an apostle, he's writing scripture. In Galatians <laughs> chapter one says, if I come and preach to you a gospel other than what you've already received, even if it is me, even if an apostle from God starts right. preaching something different. Or, and he adds this, this amazing line, or even an angel from heaven. <laughs> yes. Do not believe him. That is so profound. Uh, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. We have yes. a constant demand to do fruit inspection, to check the fruit of the potential wolves that are out there. Because Jesus tells us that the wolves will not only be plentiful, but that people will think that they're sheep. That, yes. That's the whole point. Yeah. They don't mm -hmm. come in saying, worship me because we hate Jesus. They come in saying partial truths and people actually think they're righteous. Just like the devil right. disguises himself as a servant of light. Those who follow him and those who are his, his apostles, so to speak, mm -hmm. are going to be those yeah. who will look like servants of righteousness. And so many will follow them. They'll be deceived into doing that. Who are these false prophets that are out there? And, and right. that's something we need to constantly be on guard for. So whether it's a Jim Jones or a David Koresh or, a, or a, 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 a Muhammad, the Bible tells us, test 
your leaders, test them against the word of God. And that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Which brings back the authority of the Bible, of course, which is different between Mormonism and Christianity. That would be a whole nother three sessions, wouldn't (laughs) it? But something that I do at some point need to address when I'm talking with Mormons who are questioning their faith, I had no idea there was so much evidence for the Bible. And the idea, again, of us using questions with Mormons. So if there are 30,000 archaeological digs that prove just the Old Testament alone, tell me about some of the archaeological digs you would have that prove the Book of Mormon, right? If there are two sticks in one hand, God brought them both forward. I mean, just 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 planning those ideas, not right. even trying to answer those questions and we've and dealt so the with only the reason, reason i would say we've dealt with some of these reasons so if you're like well yeah i'd like to know more about this whole authority of the bible why can't it be trusted um in the show notes we'll put links to episodes where we've interviewed people specifically on this topic so there's some great information there for you to get to go ahead um no, that, that's great. If you're wondering, if anyone is listening and wondering, so there's, there's four things. We haven't hit the grace one yet, but there's four that, Rich, you've said you hear all the time. I'm surprised the Bible and the authority of Scripture is not in there very much. The only reason that one hasn't made the cut for this particular conversation on this <laughs> is because what I have found repeatedly is that when a person, an LDS neighbor or friend says, well, I'm not so sure we can trust it in the Bible, I've gotten over that incredibly quickly just by saying, well, the Bible is true. You'll go, go check this out, but just look what the words say and follow me here. I, I think that when we presume the Bible is true in conversation, please go test this out. That's right. great to do. But um, from kind of a presuppositional, the words God, the God, God's word here has authority. Um, there, there's something about it that is self-evidently true. And yes. uh, most Mormons, I feel like have that almost baked in somewhere. It needs to be uncovered. Mm-hmm. But when we presuppose that in conversation, maybe out of thousands of conversations that I've had with strangers on the street about this, two or three have held rigidly onto uh, that word in the Bible is not true. And mm-hmm. so um, All right. I'm not sure, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's super helpful, but um, I found that it's usually the other things that they, that they're getting out of their views that have become more distracting. Yeah. Well, what I found with Mormons is as I uh, plant those questions and conundrums from the scriptures that bump up against Mormon teachings, after I've done that a number of times, then they might say to me, well, you know, I don't trust the Bible. This is always my next question to a Mormon. So do you trust the words of Jesus? Never Uh, had a Mormon say no. Of course they trust the words of Jesus. And right from this doctrine topical guide that we have, um, there are enough scriptures that come directly from the mouth of Jesus that that I don't want to say hit against, but um, certainly don't line up with Mormonism. Right that can cause people to think. And those are the ones that I think really hit our Mormon friends, right? When Jesus is directly speaking and he's saying something like Matthew 16, 18, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yeah. Um, For the great apostasy when they're teaching the great apostasy. But we have another topic to get to. Yes, we need to get to grace. (laughs) 
Um, we need to get to grace, right? So grace is an issue also for Mormons. They believe that um, grace is different between Mormonism and Christianity, which it is certainly. Yeah. The Mormon encyclopedia defines grace as an enabling power that God gives you. The idea is so you can live the commandments, right? So that you can kind of make yourself righteous. Very different grace than, than our biblical grace. Tell us about that, Pastor Ridge. Yeah, go ahead and tell well, us as people, as people articulated their understanding, because again, you're saying, okay, so you tell me how you see it different. How was the grace of biblical Christianity portrayed? How did they tend to see it? I found that many uh, Mormons have seen uh, when they define Christian view of grace is cheap grace, right? So it's, you can yeah. say that you love Jesus and then go and murder and rape and pillage and steal. And you're going to get into heaven just fine because you said that one thing, believe that one thing one time. Uh, Paul competes against that exact idea in Romans uh, when he tells people, uh, he, he repeats the error by saying, so we should go on sinning that grace may abound by no means. No, <laughs> yes, absolutely. not the Christian gospel is not to keep going on and, and going on to do that. Um, one of my favorite places to go to help people see the really the biblical Christian view on this is going to James chapter two. And, and I, one of the reasons I like going there is because mm. I think that many of our Mormon friends think that's there. That's theirs. They get oh, this yes, one they, verse that the Christians get uncomfortable. This is their about. slam dunk verse. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> And I like to, before I started James 2, I go back to James chapter 1. And I show them what the Bible mm -hmm. says, about what James even articulates about grace, about salvation. He says that every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above, from the Father of heavenly lights. That everything that we get that's good ultimately is because of him. And that each person uh, is given this by him, by, of his own will, it says of God. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. This is how it, this is how it is. This is a faith in the word of truth. So when we get to James chapter two, James, this is so important to see. He is not saying that there are, um, there are those who have faith and not deeds and those who have faith and deeds. He says that there are those who say they have faith and have no deeds to prove it. Yeah. And those who actually go live in a certain way and you can see it. So if I were to read this to you in James 2, 14, okay. he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? This whole passage is going to be a distinguished, a distinction between true faith and false faith. All mm -hmm. believers have seen for always that there is a false kind of faith. Titus warns us of this, of those who profess that they love God, but deny him by their works. Right. So it's not that they had faith and then didn't have the works. They deny him by how they, the evidence that they don't love God by what they do. That's exactly yeah. what James is warning against. That's why he says, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Why? Because that is a false faith. If you're thinking that you can have an interaction with the living Christ and then go about your life as though you hate him every day, that is evidence of the fact you have not had that life change and that dramatic conversion moment. And so he's challenging the person who is just yielding to, ah, whatever, I've got grace. No, that's not, that's not the way the biblical gospel operates. This is why he even distinguishes again, and I'll just show you this one more, one more passage. It's helpful it, in the same, in the same paragraph. Verse 18 says, but someone will say, he's imagining some, some scenario. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, 
and I'll show you my faith by my works. So again, yeah. he's distinguishing between true faith bears fruit, false faith doesn't. And that's why Jesus says the same. How are you going to distinguish or identify a false teacher by their fruits? You're going to know. You can watch what they do and see if they're actually living like a person who's been changed forever because of salvation. And, and that's what James is warning, warning against. And so that not only defines what real, uh, real faith, real, real uh, salvation looks like, it helps us get a clearer view of grace. Because it's not something that now we earn. It's something that is a pr- uh, the, the works are a product of the grace that's yes. already been received. Right. Which is exactly what you also find in Ephesians chapter two, um, eight and nine, where we talk about, you know, it's our, our main go-to verses on, you know, by grace you're saved, it's through faith, it's not of work, so no one gets to boast. But verse 10, the very next verse says, mm-hmm. but we were created in him for good works. You do good works. The whole point yeah. of getting grace is so that your life now becomes this fruitful manifestation of the fact that you're in Christ. You're no longer in Adam. To, to Paul's two main categories for everybody that exists, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ and have his spirit. And if you are in Christ, this is going to be the evidence. It's going to be clearly visible. So what and kind you of have a purpose? You have a purpose. God has a purpose for you. You're part of this great master plan. I I try to explain to Mormons how intimate and personal this is. You, You commit your life to Jesus. The Holy Spirit sets up residence in you and this sanctification process happens. You begin to change. You begin to see things differently. You begin to get a hunger for the Bible and a hunger for things like prayer. You start to see your own sin. (laughs) Stuff to do. You have works that are yours, but they're not ones that you created from a checklist. They are personal works that come from the Savior that are for your very life. So five years into biblical faith, I got up in prayer one day and felt like God told me to write. And I laughed like Sarah. There is no way I want my story to be public. I will not, you know, this is not the path I choose. Well, this book, Unveiling Grace, just poured out of me. Joel, you know this. Yeah. (laughs) And then he started taking it and saving Mormons, right? Who are also questioning their faith. Not my work, simply a conduit. And he uses humans just that personally because what's our work? to draw people to Jesus. That's the work of the father. He says he's doing it 24 seven. That's the father's work. He's always drawing people to Jesus. John 6, 44, no one comes to Jesus unless the father draws people to him. What is the work of a Christian to do the same, right? To live a good Christ-like life that others might know him. And um, it's the most satisfying and, and yet difficult in many ways life, yeah. right? Yeah, As a it is. university professor in a secular um, environment, it was hard to be a Christian out of our entire college uh, where I was last. There were only two Christians, only two people that were strong enough to say even that they were wow. Christian and, and a very kind of hostily aggressive anti-Christian environment. I learned to own the crazy Christian professor 
and God used that. I mean, students came to me. It was just, it was just amazing, but a whole different world than in Mormonism where everybody's on the same page. Here you're kind of out there by yourself, just you and Jesus, and he's got to yep. work for that. And oh man, this life is so much better, uh, Mormons. Yeah. Well, in the probably just a minute or two that we have left, Pastor Rich, what would you say? Because I know that a lot of our audience are um, Mormons that are transitioning or people in performance-based religious groups that are starting to have some questions. They're starting maybe to look seriously at Christianity, or maybe they've actually even transitioned out, but they're still like, as a pastor um, in the midst of a performance-based religious culture, where would you encourage people to go in terms of the word, in terms of their research, what would you want them to consider um, if they're kind of in this transition, man, I'm not sure, maybe even considering agnosticism or atheism, which a lot of people do coming out of a performance-based religion because they've been so burned. They've seen so much falsity under the name, even of Jesus Christ. Um, I, I just want to give you these last couple of minutes to to share from your heart, you know, what you'd say to these people, because you're in the middle of this right now. Yeah, I would want to encourage you in something. Um, I know that Mormonism uh, has, in many cases, tied Jesus, the Bible, uh, God, heaven and hell, anything supernatural to the mast of the sinking ship. And so for many people, as they watch their Mormon faith crumble, they find some things out, they realize this is not the one true church. It's usually the first, the first step. And then eventually yeah. go, I don't know if any of this is true. Don't jettison Jesus. Don't, don't toss out every word that, that you've heard there. Test all those words. Take those, take those to the word of God. Uh, test those out. Uh, you need to find a group of, of friends who will help you do this. And those you can trust who will say, don't, don't believe what I say because I said it. Challenge everything. Hold fast to what is true. Find a church uh, where the pastor will preach faithfully verse by verse, who's going to just tell you what the Bible says, won't coddle things, but give you the space that you need to just learn and grow uh, and, and just data collect, figure this out and don't neglect to cry out to the Lord. Uh, pray that the Lord will help you understand. And this isn't the same uh, uh, Mormon version of pray to see if you'll know that it is true. This is a action, an actionable testing uh, period of time for you. And uh, you need to find some people who will help you walk through that. Uh, that you can ask every question and challenge everything. Uh, and the Lord loves you. And uh, those who are aching to know the <laughs> truth, he, he will answer. And you can use logic and faith, right? You can use logic and faith, right. which is different from Mormonism. Um, so if because people... it all hangs together, the Bible right. actually makes sense and has internal consistency. Yeah. And so, um, Pastor Rich, if people want to find you, want to follow you, where can they do that? Um, I know you've got a YouTube channel, your church. Where would you want to direct people who are saying, hey, I'd like to connect more. I, maybe I'm right in South Jordan or I'm in close to there. I would love to check you out personally. Go ahead and give oh, us great. that and we'll put make sure that's in the show notes too. If you or someone you know lives in or is visiting the, the uh, Salt Lake City area, uh, our church is the Mission Church in South Jordan, Utah. You can find us on themissionutah.com. 
um, uh, or we have a ministry we started called GodLovesMormons.com. That's a website and a YouTube channel that uh, hosts just a ton of uh, resources that we hope will be helpful in answering the kinds of questions we've been talking about. Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure people can get to that. And as always, thank you so much for being with us, Pastor Rich. Um, great conversation. And to you, our listener, our viewer, thank you for being with us, for giving us your time, your ear, your attention. We hope it's been something that's been helpful. Um, we truly want to see your life flourish. We want you to experience a grace that heals. So thank you for being a part of what we've been doing here. Lynn? Jesus is enough. Amen. Grace and peace. Until next time. So long. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. For a limited time, we are offering the Wilder's book, Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism, for a donation of any amount. Go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free book button to request yours. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.